what I've been feeling from the Lord about 2020 and what we're coming into. And I talked to you about uh, 2020 vision. Remember? Anybody? Uh, And I also mentioned something interesting. I said something along the lines of, uh, as we move into this decade, actually throughout this century, more specifically this decade, I felt the Lord telling me that we need to have 2020 vision this year to be clear, to be in the right perspective, to be in the normal spiritual place that as we move forward, society is going to start losing vision and we are going to be the ones that will be required to maintain 2020 vision to speak to society and to bring light in the darkness. Okay? So I've been praying about that. Even though I shared it with you, it's been weighing even heavier on me as I continued from last Sunday to this week. I sought the Lord even more. I said, Lord, and by the way, this is why it says in the scripture that one speaks... And those that are listening, especially the elders, should weigh what is being spoken to make sure it's on track. This is why. I haven't told you this yet. This is why. Because there are some times that everyone who speaks, I don't know maybe everyone, but at least myself, I go off script. You may be wondering, you have a script? We never see you looking at your script. My script is here. It's digested. And it comes out of the overflow of what I've been carrying for the last little while. I bring you the the bubbling over, right? But there's a lot of stuff that's brewing inside. So when I was preaching last Sunday about 2020, in the middle of that, the Lord gave me clarity about what happens moving forward. And I shared that with you by saying 2021, the world is going to get slightly off. 2022, it's going to get even worse. I don't mean circumstances in the world. I mean generally in the population, the ability to hear and to see accurately. Maybe even in some aspect of the church. That's what I felt and I shared with you. And this is why you have to weigh it. Okay? So I count on the elders. I count on Rob. I count on uh, all the leadership to be able to hear with me as I'm preaching to make sure that what I'm delivering is actually the word of the Lord. Does that make sense? Are you comfortable with that or you feel nervous about it? Uh Uh-oh, we don't know what this guy is giving us. No, that's actually very true, right? And we find that in Scripture throughout. Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? You are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed it to you. Right? When Peter was with the disciples and Jesus was asking them who people say he is. And Peter, without thinking, says these words. In other words, he was speaking prophetically. So this is what I'm talking about. When we speak prophetically, we all need to weigh it together to get that assurance in our heart that this was the Lord. It wasn't just somebody's mind. So when I'm telling you that as 2020 continues, we are the church, not us only. The city, not the city river. But across the globe, the global body of Christ, at least a remnant within it, a small portion of it, 
will need to be part of those that hear and see accurately. And this is an invitation to all of us to enter into that place where we hear and see accurately. Okay? So what I'm going to be sharing with you today is how the Lord unpacked that for me and what I feel we need to really focus on as we move out of the first week of the year into the rest of the 51 weeks. So in Mark chapter 8, we read these words. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? Now, I don't recommend that if you have a blind man in front of you, that you go and spit on his eyes and ask him if he sees anything. You're probably going to get slapped. Unless you're Jesus or unless the Holy Spirit tells you exactly to do that. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. The two sentences I want us to really focus on in this paragraph is, I see people like trees walking. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. As I've been meditating about 2020 and what we're coming into and this clarity that the Lord is giving for this year and what we need to see for this year, I heard the Lord tell me to put my hand in front of my face. Try it. Put your hand in front of your face and keep your gaze at a distance. Don't focus on your hand itself. You probably can't if your hand is in front of your face. But it looks so big at this point, doesn't it? Now stretch it out to the arm's length. That looks like a hand. Bring it up to your face. And the Lord was telling me to do this. And I realized at that point what this man was seeing. Because the word at the end of the sentence, he saw everything clearly. The word actually means at a distance and clearly. The Greek word. The Greek word there doesn't just translate clearly. It doesn't say that he saw Jesus or, or, or Mark. doesn't write that the man saw clearly. It says that he saw everything at a distance and clearly. In other words, everything landed according to its focal point. The focal point for your eye here, for your hand here, is an impossible focal point to get it right. So what we had been doing in the prophetic, I'm talking globally, what we had been hearing in the prophetic, from the prophetic, is been so close. It's accurate. It is a hand. But it doesn't look like a hand when it's this close. It looks much bigger and fuller and out of proportion than what it is when you see it in the right place. So what the Lord is going to be doing with the church globally and with you and me, some of the things that you have been seeing, some of the things that we have been seeing here for the church are going to now come into the proper distance and with clarity. Amen? Can you say amen to that? Things in your life that looked very big, either giants in your life that you had to conquer or vision that the Lord had given you that was for your good, 
things that the Lord is telling you he's going to do may have looked so big that it was an impossibility for you to accomplish or for us as a church to accomplish, all of a sudden as it moves into the right perspective and you see it at the proper distance and clearly, it will make sense and the Lord will give you the strategy of how to fulfill it. But what's going to happen moving into 21 is that the hand is going to go even further and further and further and further. I can't do it. My arm won't go. But it will go so far that the society is not going to be able to hear the voice of God clearly or see his voice clearly except for the church that does. Your neighbors, your cousins who don't know Christ yet, other church people that are not as walking as intimately with him. As we move into this year and as we move into next year, we need clarity this year. So how does that come? How does that clarity come? Let's look at some history. The reason we need to look at history is because, you know the old quote? Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. This was a philosopher and a a thinker in the early 1900s, George Santayana. And he said that, and it was part of his statements, part of his thinking. He said that in 1905. It was quoted, a little bit twisted or a little bit modified by Winston Churchill. In the parliament in the UK, Winston Churchill in the House of Commons, uh, Commons in the speech on August 28th said these words. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Because you can still remember history, but not learn anything from it. He's right. Churchill is more accurate. You can remember the history. You have a wonderful memory of all the facts. But if you don't learn anything from them, it's useless. You can have all the Bible knowledge. But if you don't learn anything from it, it's pointless. You can have a full understanding of your history class. You know who battled when and who and what conquered how, all of these things. But if you don't get something out of it as far as meaning, as far as a lesson, you're really not learning. So, Isaiah chapter 60 gives us a little bit of a perspective that we have to understand. Isaiah chapter 60 refers to a period that took place around 540 before Jesus, before Christ. So about 2,540 years ago, or 60 years ago, right? What happened? At that time, the nation of Israel existed in what is today Israel. They lived there. That was their home. They had established the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom was ruled by a king called David. And when David ruled the kingdom of Israel, it was the best days of the kingdom of Israel. He had a heart after God. He loved God with all his heart. He learned to hear the voice of God and he ruled from that place. That's why when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, his son said in the Proverbs. But when the unrighteous rule, the people are miserable. So David ruled well. He had his own issues. He's a man. He's not perfect like any of us, like all of us. So when his death came, his son Solomon took over the kingdom. And his son Solomon had a lot of wisdom because he asked for God to give him wisdom because he built the house of God in the city of Jerusalem. 
And in that city, there was the temple that Solomon built. And after that, for the generations that came after that, the kingdom of Israel started to drift. In other words, they started to lose vision. And Solomon actually said these words in Proverbs. He said that when there is no vision, the people perish. And there is no restraint. There's no boundaries. People don't live within the relationship with God. They become animalistic. They become violent. They become selfish. They become arrogant. They become self-centered. Sound familiar? So in the midst of all of that, from Solomon's days forward, the kingdom split. And there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And those two kingdoms of Israel, they're one nation, they're cousins. They're all sons of one man, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, so they split. Those 12 sons and their grandsons split from one another. Not the 12 sons, but the grandsons split from one another. And there was a battle going on constantly. The kingdom to the north started to actually worship other idols. Where there is no vision, the people perish because there's no restraint. The people of the north had no restraint. They worshipped all kinds of idols. And the light of God started to dwindle. It became darker and darker and darker. And when you know what happens when it's really dark, you can't see anything. You're as good as blind. But all of a sudden, when Jesus comes and spits on the man's eyes and the lights come on, he sees men as giants. He hasn't learned to focus correctly yet. Jesus touches him and hears him, and he now can see at a distance and clearly. So the people of Israel, of the, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, were all over the place. But the kingdom of Judah maintained some kind of faithfulness to God, and they continued. But they also were losing it. They also started to shift and to drift. If we don't learn from history, we are bound to repeat it. So what happens is in the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, that's the kingdom that was around the city of Jerusalem. In that kingdom, sin started to manifest. The priests started to sin. The prophets went silent. There was one or two prophets that spoke to all of Israel. And one of them was Isaiah. And Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos and all of these other smaller prophets by book size would talk to Israel about what's going to happen after so many years. After 70 years, you're going to come back. And you're going to live back in the land. And in that midst of all of that conversation, what happened was the kingdom of Babylon, modern-day Iraq, it's in the news lately, modern-day Iraq, the kingdom of Babylon, the king Nebuchadnezzar sends his armies and they take over the northern kingdom. Israel is no longer in possession of the land. God gave it. And then a few years later, he comes and attacks the southern kingdom and he takes all of them into captivity. And all of the young people of the nation become servants back in Babylon. They are carried off to Babylon. They take all the gold from the temple. They take all the silver platters and serving plates and all of the things that were used for worship. They get kidnapped, as it were. They get stolen by this kingdom that didn't know the light that was in the nation of Israel, which was God himself. They take all of that and take it back to their own country. And now Israel 
is just a weak, empty shell of a nation that is overruled by the, by, by the uh, uh, Babylonians. The Babylonian history continues for a while and then the Medes attack them and they take over. And then the Persians. The Persians attack and they have the greatest kingdom at that time. In all of history, the Persian Empire became such a strong empire that the expanse of the, the size of its kingdom was as far as India and as far as Europe. It was the main empire in all the world. If you can imagine, I don't know what strongest nation in the world is today. Some people would say China, some people would say Russia, some people would say the U.S. Imagine one of those nations, but clearly the strongest Militarily, financially, economically, educationally, all that was existing in Persia. And at the time, around the period that Cyrus, Kurosh, the Great, I think all of the Iranians here know Kurosh, not personally, but you know him by history, right? But did you learn from his history, or do you only know the history? Do you know the history? I'm sure you studied it well and you've passed all the exams. Those among us that are Iranians. But this king was the greatest king that Persia ever had. Am I right? You look at him, Kurosh, oh, the god of the sun almost, is like his name, right? That's what Kurosh means. And he had such a powerful existence. But somehow... Let's put this in context. His words, Kurosh's words, became the last words in the Hebrew Bible. What? Every Jew has a book they call the Tanakh. Say it with me, Tanakh. Especially that last part, Tanakh. What does Tanakh mean? Tanakh means, it's actually, a lot of Hebrew words are made up that way. It is actually three letters. T, N, Ch. The T stands for the Torah, and the Torah is the five books of Moses. What we have in our Bible is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the T, the Torah. I think we all in the Middle East use the word the Torah to describe the whole of the Old Testament. That's inaccurate. That's only the T of Tanakh. The N is Nevi'im. Nevi'im means prophets. So it's the five books of Moses, the prophets next, and then the last one, the Ch, is the Ketavim, which is the writings. And that includes the Psalms, it includes the Proverbs, it includes all the poetry, and it also includes all the history books. So first and second Chronicles, first and second Kings, first and second Samuel, all of that is included, and it ends with Second Chronicles. We're tracking together? Okay. Kurosh the Great, he's now in his first year of his rule, 549 B.C., and God moves on his heart. God moves on Kurosh's heart. He's not an Israelite. He's not part of the circumcision. He's not part of the covenant of God with Abraham. He's a Persian man, not an Israelite. He is not part of the kingdom of Israel at all. He actually is the one who has control over the kingdom of Israel. 
He is the Lord over the kingdom of Israel. He's not the king of Israel, but he has made Israel his colony. He says these words. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. This is the same temple that the God of Abraham told his great-great-grandson Solomon, actually David, to prepare all the materials, but he can't build it. His son will build it, Solomon. So Solomon builds this, kingdom, uh, this uh, temple based on the model that God had given Moses in the wilderness when they came out of Egypt. Are you tracking or is this... We're all good? Okay. For him in, at Jerusalem in Judah, any of his people... Not my people. Not the kingdom of Persia's people. Not the Iranians, not the Persians, not the Medes, not the Babylonians. Any of his people. In other words, those that are Israelites. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. This is how the Bible that every Jewish person holds ends. Now, in today's culture, in the news today, Iran and Israel are not the best of friends. There are some people that would have you believe that they're actually enemies. If you listen to the news, especially the political ramblings, you get a strong feeling that somehow the Iranian regime, the Iranian uh, Al-Quds military arm, actually it's called Al-Quds for a reason. You know what Al-Quds means? K-U-D-S? For those that don't speak Arabic or Farsi, Al-Quds literally means the holy city. So what do you think their mission is? Jerusalem. The political military arm of the Islamic Republic of Iran's regime is focused on repossession of Al-Quds. Am I speaking something foreign or the Iranians among us know this? Yeah, you agree, right? I'm, I'm accurately hearing it. This isn't revelation. This is just understanding of the political scene. So when the man that was killed outside of the Iraqi airport, General Soleimani, when this is happening around us in the world, we need to understand what time we're living in. We need to understand what we have to learn from history so that we are not doomed to repeat it. The Persian Empire had possession of the city of Jerusalem. But its king heard the voice of God in his heart and he was so moved that he was going to fund the building of the house of God in Jerusalem. For who? For the people of Israel. And today in the UN, they tell us that no, 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 Israel has nothing to do with Jerusalem. This is fact. This is history. The king of Persia built the temple at his cost by making provision for the people of Israel to go back and build the house of the glory of God in Jerusalem. 
So what do we learn from this? We learn that Israel today has come back into the land after almost 2,000 years. Politically, it has a lot of enemies all around. It has very few friends. Jordan is a friendship-type nation. Egypt is a friendly-type nation. But Turkey, Lebanon, Hezbollah. Hezbollah, do you know what that means? For those that don't speak Arabic or Farsi, it literally means the party of God. (laughs) Think about what that means. So all of these nations, now you may get the feeling that I'm being political or I'm trying to tell you that Iran's policies are bad or this or that. No, I'm trying to wake us up to realize that there is an enemy of the people, of the human race, that is working to control the hearts and minds of leaders so that people remain in bondage. The best time, the best king of of Persia was the man who could hear the voice of God and work according to the plans of God. So what I'm suggesting to you is this, that we're coming into the period where right now, in the midst of all of this, there is something happening in Iran. There is a movement of God in Iran that God is focusing his attention on Iran, not on its policies or its political ambitions or its controlling powers, but it's on the people that he is focusing to bring them to the place where they can hear his voice like Kurosh the Great and speak his will. And you Iranians among us are part of that. You're the seed that God wants to develop for you to become infectious to affect all of the Iranians in Toronto, all of the Iranians across the world, that the people of Iran would align with the purposes of God so another Kurosh the Great would come out and he would bring Iran back into alignment that it would stand as a nation that is under the kingdom of God and not under kingdom of darkness. And we, the rest of us that are not Iranians, get to partner with you in prayer and in support and in the purposes of God to see that happen. Wow. Any of his people among you may go up. So what does this have to do with us seeing clearly? The two words that I highlighted there in bold, go up. I love the languages. I was so blessed to discover yesterday. How many languages? Who are you? Christabel? 21, 22 languages? (laughs) Something ridiculous. Like what, seven or eight? Oh, I'm making you blush. I'm sorry. Seven. Seven. I found out that Christabel, I speak four languages and people get wowed. But man, she speaks seven. Praise God. That's wonderful. What's that? She's a polyglot, not a uh, bilingual or... It's a polyglot, yeah. (laughs) Glot, not glut, right? Polyglot means she speaks many languages. She has a good tongue. Anyway, so in the midst of that, why I'm trying to tell you this is because I love languages. And I don't think one language can capture the fullness of the meaning of another language without many, 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 many more words. So one word, I told you already, when we were looking at Mark chapter 8, one word was put in the Bible as clearly, but it literally means at a distance and clearly. But that would be weird to write it that way. So this word, go up. In Second Chronicles, the word is ala. Okay? Ala. Which literally is the root word 
for all these other words from A all the way to P. You don't, you don't need to understand all this other than to understand the fact that it is the root of a whole bunch of sentences or, or, or verbs or, or nouns. Notice the letter F, 1624F, and it's the word aliyah. Anybody recognize that word? Do you have any Jewish friends that went to Israel to live? What they call that to go back to Israel to live is aliyah. To make aliyah. So when we're looking at this, that they may go up. Those that go up, Allah, would be making, would be doing aliyah. So when the exile was finished, and King Kurosh says, whoever wants to go back to Israel can go back. All the people that went back went Allah as they were making Aliyah. You with me so far? So that was the first time that we see this massive Aliyah. Why do they say that? Because the city of Jerusalem is in the middle of a whole bunch of valleys, but it's on a hill. So you can't go to it without going up. And as a matter of fact, we have Psalms in the Bible called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Allah and Aliyah. It's the same word, by the way, Allah, that is, you know, the root part of it is the same for steps. You can see it here. Right? To ascend, stairway, upper. The upper room where the disciples met with Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit was the Aliyah. You with me so far? So, the people of Israel were in captivity. And to get their freedom, they had to go through Aliyah. The disciples sat with Jesus waiting for the Holy Spirit. And they had to go through Aliyah in the upper room. They had to climb upstairs to the upper room. He meets with them and he talks to them. They have communion there the first Good Friday before he was crucified. They're waiting there on the day of Pentecost after he shows up. But between the two, on the 40th day after his resurrection, he actually made Aliyah. He went up to heaven. And he sat at the right hand of the Father in that upper room. You're tracking with me. And we're understanding this root word and what it means. So as the people of Israel going back home made Aliyah, as they sat with Jesus in the upper room and had communion, intimacy, it was in Aliyah. As Jesus goes back to the Father, to his eternal home, he makes Aliyah. And now, John, his favorite or his most beloved disciple on the Isle of Patmos has gone up in the spirit and he's in prayer and he's listening to the voice of God. And all of a sudden he has this revelation. Actually, that's the name of the whole book, the last book of our Bible now. In that revelation, he hears the word, John, come up here. Guess what the Hebrew, I know it's in Greek, 
But in the translation of the New Testament to the Hebrew, guess what word they've used to describe him coming up here? Anybody? Well done. So there's an aliyah that awaits all of us. There's a going up that awaits all of us. We're not going to be able to be in the place of proper revelation without us going up. It's a conscious decision that we must make individually, personally, and us corporately. We have all kinds of ways to help us to do that. Listening to the voice of God classes or hearing the voice of God classes. We encourage you to read your Bible constantly. We don't stop encouraging you to read your Bible. Because it's in that place that you'll start going up. It's in that place of reading your Bible, spending time in worship. You coming here, being part of the community as we worship and enter together. As we go up together. All of a sudden, it feels like this room is like lifted up from the earth. And we're no longer in this room. We're somewhere else together. We want to be in the presence of the Lord. And He is in the heavens. Not only in His Spirit here among us. But we want to be in that place where we together hear His voice and His heartbeat. So that our vision is focused. So that as we move from 2020 forward, our focus will remain focused because we have been trained by him throughout this year to enter corporately together, to be in the place where we can see things and hear things and understand things and declare them on earth as though they are, as they are in heaven to bring heaven on earth. That's what he taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who is he going to do that through? You and me. I know there's a lot of vision in each one of us. I know there's a lot of heart that God has given each one of us. There's a lot of capacity. I don't think you know your capacity. I think you underestimate your capacity. I think each of us feels, oh, I've had too much. In the midst of the hardest time, when the darkness hits us, listen carefully, in the midst of your most challenging time, when you're going through darkness, What the prophet prophesied to Israel that became this word that the King Kurosh said. The prophecy was to the nation that was in captivity. The prophecy was in the midst of their captivity, he's telling them, arise, shine, for your light has come. Don't think you're at your limit. Don't think you have a limited capacity. Don't think that you can't handle more. Don't believe that lie. You have been made for more. See, darkness covers the earth. Oh my God, I can't imagine. I can't go on anymore. I can't take this. I can't. I'm going to snap. If I don't do something, I'm going to burn out. And thick darkness is all over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. Why? Because they're not seeing a 2020. But you are. But for you to see a 2020, you must first rise. Rise. Get up. That's the same word that Jesus used with that dead girl. Talitha. He comes to her and he says to her, Kumi. Same word in Hebrew that he used with the girl is the word that the prophet uses here when he says, Kum. Get up. Get up. 
You've been sitting too long. You've, you've sat so long that you've now felt that you, as you're dead. The darkness is all around you. You've lost your hope. You've lost your focus. You're thinking, oh, I, I can't do this anymore. Release me, Lord. Release me from this responsibility. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. And the wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. All from she- Why am I reading this last sentence? It doesn't really apply to anything. But it does. These are all the nations of Arabia. These are the nations that today are standing firm as firm as Iran is with regards to the destruction of the nation of Israel. These are the sons of Ishmael. By name, these are the sons of Ishmael. Grandsons of Abraham. And what the Lord is speaking in that day when this prophecy was fulfilled, it wasn't fulfilled fully. But we're now at that day where the fastest growing churches in the world I don't mean churches, I mean national church. I mean like the fastest growth of Christianity, and I don't mean as a religion, I mean as a personal encounter with God, is in the Persian Empire and in the Arabian world. And God is saying that these people will come into your presence because of what you have, and they will receive and they will bring their gifts and their glory and to bring it to you. Not for you to just be wealthy, but for you to bring it to a place where that can now be productive for the help of all the nations. That's big picture stuff, right? Very big. But it doesn't get anywhere without a people that are determined to make it real in their personal and in their family and in their church life. You and I have a choice. And this year, we are coming into face-to-face with this choice. Are we going to remain a community that's just happy to be Christians? Happy to have the blessings of God in our lives. Happy to have all the fun Christian things that we do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I love our retreats. I love the Amazing Grace. I love our small groups. I love all that we're doing. The hospitality out there and the Sunday school uh, program that we had last week or two weeks ago. I love all of these things. But there's something that God wants to do with a people that will say yes, unrestricted. He wants them to go up. And those that went up at the time of Kurosh, the king, faced all kinds of challenge from within the Jewish people and from outside the Jewish people. They faced challenge from inside the church, as it were, and from those outside the church. But they had gone up. And because they had gone up, they were able to see with clarity. And they had vision. And they stuck to it. I believe, and we've discussed it amongst the leadership, that this year... We need to launch a corporate time of prayer where we come together and go up and enter into that upper room together as a community and hear the heartbeat of God, hear what he's saying, feel what he's feeling, understand where he wants us to go. This is going to be rolled out in the next few weeks. We'll announce details as to what night and where and so forth. It's going to be here, but how it's going to function and so forth. And this is not for only those people that think of themselves as intercessors. This is for young and old. Because when God puts his hand on a person to release his word, age, maturity has nothing to do with it. He used a donkey for once, for for goodness sake. 
right? He can use all of us. And I don't want us to miss his speaking through any of us. How old you are, how mature you are, how many years of experience you have, that means nothing. Let's come up to the place that he wants us to go to together. And in that place, watch what he will do. We'll come together as a family, multi-generational, young and old. We'll come together and enter into his presence. We'll spend some time in worship. We'll spend some time in listening. And we'll listen together and we will say what he once said. And we're not coming here to pray, to pray for my cousin's broken arm or my neighbor's job that he lost. That's not the purpose of this. We do that in our small groups. But in this time that we come together, we're going to seek his heartbeat for us as a church, what he wants to do with us and how he wants to use us. And I guarantee you, it will be an exciting ride. Because when he shows up, he will ignite us. But you can't come here empty. You can't come here and expect to be filled here. Yeah, you will be filled. But you've got to have some gas in the tank to start with. So before you come, before we announce where and how and all these details, we need to go up personally. We need to spend time with him alone. We need to go into the closet and spend time alone. So I'm going to give you an invitation today to refresh and press the reset button. Remember those old Nintendo games? It had a power button and a reset button. Right? We're not turning the game off. We're just resetting it. Reset. And bring us into that alignment that corporately we can come together, but first we need to individually align. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we don't want to miss what the lessons of history teach us. We want to receive from you, Lord, what you have. So, Father, we just ask. We come to you almost in despair. Saying, Lord, we can't go on without you. We can't continue without you aligning us. So we do a reset. We ask you today that as we reset all of our priorities, that you nudge our hearts to make space for you. We deliberately, intentionally will create, carve out, set aside time that we can spend with you in worship and prayer and reading your word, just to get intimate with you, to go up with you and to hear your heartbeat individually. So as we can come together corporately, we'll be ready to hear you together. And all the people said, amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. God bless you. We'll see you here next Sunday.